Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I was like, how long am I going to miss? Like four to six weeks? He's like, no, no, no. You're done for the season. Just missing all of that was... Honestly, Chris, it was devastating. I'm Chris Long, and this is American Prodigies Becoming Great. On this podcast, we highlight the fascinating career journeys of current and former football players. Each episode, we take you on a trip through a player's life, and along the way, explore what it means to be great. Because greatness comes in all shapes and sizes, and every path is one of a kind. Today we're going to tell the story of a player who was a force to be reckoned with for years. A master disruptor, this man once had six sacks in a single game. His unlikely journey brought him from the UK to Nigeria and finally to the US. The fact that he was discovered at all was due to a huge stroke of luck. And thank God for that, because otherwise we would have missed out on a fantastic all-pro player. Our subject is Osi Umanyura. To start things off, let's just set the record straight about OC's name. Oh, Did you just break news? Is it Umanura? Are we have we all been saying yeah. it wrong? Yeah, it's actually Umanura. Oh, yeah. That's fucking crazy, wow. dude. Yeah. More yeah, breaking news. It is. See, I never knew that. All these years I thought it was Umanura. Now that we've established that, let's get into his story. OC was born in London on November 16th, 1981. After seven years in the UK, his family moved to Nigeria. Then, when he was 14, he moved to Auburn, Alabama to live with his sister. As you can imagine, there was some culture shock. I went from London to Nigeria, then from Nigeria yep. to um, Auburn, Alabama. Yep. And so um, a lot of people would ask me when I left Nigeria and I got to Auburn, they were like, man, did you did you guys speak English? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we spoke English. I, I don't know what they were speaking in Auburn, Alabama, because <laughs> for sure, for sure, that wasn't English. They were speaking. I don't know what language that was. They're speaking something completely different. But it, it, it was a culture shock. It was a complete culture shock. The only thing we saw in Nigeria of America was like Baywatch and Fresh Prince of Bel Air and oh, that's you know all those type of things. That's yeah, interesting. So Chris Auburn, that's just not that's not what we saw on on television, but the, right? The, the, so, lead, uh, the lead here is that Baywatch is being consumed in Nigeria. Oh, for sure, for sure. Baywatch is, is, is heavy, uh, heavy in the streets. It's heavy in the streets. Eventually, O.C. settled in and came to terms with the fact that Alabama was not Malibu. He played a little bit of high school ball at Auburn High. Back then, he was playing nose guard, but with only one season of experience, O.C.'s play wasn't super polished yet. So, how did he make it to the college level? Well, it's a wild story. I didn't even get an offer to go to Troy. Really? You know, it was a, no, 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 no. Yeah. Man, I got, I got to tell you this story now. This is probably the craziest story you've ever heard about how I got into college. Okay. So I'm, I'm in, I'm at Auburn High School. I uh, played my senior year in high school. I wasn't particularly good because I only really played that one year. I came from Nigeria 
Um, so I didn't really play football up, up until I was 15. So I played one year of high school football, really, which is my senior year. I'm done. Uh, no scholarship offers, no colleges came to see me. We were one and nine, you know, as a team, we were a terrible football team. And to be completely honest, I wasn't really good. I really wasn't a good player. I was just athletic. So I'm, I had this car that my sister had given me. So I'm driving her car to school every day. I already had my driver's license and I was supposed to go to, um, in school, I was supposed to go to, um, this class called driver's education in high school, but I already had like my driver's license. So I was like, what am I, I'm not going to driver's ed when I got my driver's license. It didn't make any sense. So I, I wasn't going. So I would come to school at, at like nine o'clock, even though I was supposed to be there at like eight to take this class. And so one day I come to school and then they pull me to the principal's office. They're like, listen, you know, you're supposed to be in this class and you're not going. So because of that, we're going to punish you. You're going to go to in-school suspension. And I'd never heard of this before because I, I never gotten in trouble. So I was like, all right, cool. So I had two weeks of in-school suspension. Ooh. The first day I go to in-school suspension, the guy who's running in-school suspension is a guy by the name of Coach James Joseph. Now he's the running backs coach at the high school. And as soon as I walk in there, he's like, what are you doing in here? I'm like, man, I'm in this suspension. He was like, so what are you going to do with your life now? I'm like, listen, I came here to, to America to go to school. So I'm just going to find my way to, to go to college and, you know, see what happens. He was like, man, a kid your size, man, you need to do something with your athleticism, man. You, you might have a future playing football. I'm like, okay. He was like, you know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to call one of my friends. Um, and the guy just saw his name was Tracy Rocky. He was a defensive line coach. He played with James Joseph at Auburn. Oh, okay. So he was like, I'm going to call Tracy for you. Uh, and so he called Tracy Rocker and Tracy for some reason was in Auburn at the time visiting his parents. And it was like, listen, I got this kid named OC, you know, big African kid. You need to come see this guy, man. He's an athlete. So Tracy was like, okay, cool. I'm going to come see him right now. So he <laughs> left his parents' house, <laughs> right? <laughs> he left his parents' house and he drove to Auburn High School where I was in in-school suspension. Right. And he's like, oh man, you are a big kid, man. He's throwing some tape. He was like, man, you damn sure don't know what you're doing. He's like, can you run? I was like, yeah, I can run, I'm fast. Right, I was like, I'm fast. That's what I do for a living, I can run. He was yeah. like, all right, let's go see what you got. Took me outside, uh, time me in the 40. I think I ran like a 485 at the time, but I was like 270, right? That's really good. So he was a, you were big right, in high school. Fresh out of in-school I was big, I was big. I thought I was big in yeah. high school, holy shit. Yeah, Did you wait 270 in the league? No. Uh, no, I dropped down. Yeah, they, I dropped they down. was like, I saw him yeah. every day. So, so now Tracy's like, man, you, know, you, you can run, man. So he's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna call my head coach, Larry Blakeney. And so he called Larry Blakeney. He's like, man, we got this African kid. They kept on calling me the African kid. He's like, we got this African kid here, right? The guy's big, you know, seems to be a nice guy. He can run, we need defensive linemen. Right. And Blakeney was like, yeah, go ahead, offer him. So they offered me a scholarship. This all took like three hours, I promise you. <laughs> I shit you not. This took like three hours Hey, from me stepping into in-school suspension. So, and I had a scholarship so, to go to Troy. So you, you're outside in-school suspension running a 40. Five, running five 40. yards outside right. the in-school suspension. Where was there, grass, like right Crazy. outside the coach's office or something? No, nah, we, we had to go to the field, man. To go to the track, bro. So, so he's crazy. So, really, he looked out and snuck you out of in school suspension. In school suspension, but for that little bit of time, man. What do you and think happens? That's how I got in Detroit. What do you think happens if you don't get in school suspension? You see, th this is the funny thing about life, right? Yeah. It's the funny thing about life. Like, <laughs> I'm here right now discussing with you, went through all of that simply because I decided 
I don't want to take the fucking driver's head. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna... Good though. <laughs> and this is where we are right now. That's damn good. Because of that decision. That's crazy. So, so hold up. Did you end up having to take the driver's head course? Hell no. Yeah. I still didn't take that course. What a lucky break. Some things are just meant to be. Once he got to Troy, OC moved from nose guard to defensive end, and it was only a matter of time before he started dominating. His senior season in 2002 was one to remember. OC lined up opposite sophomore Demarcus Ware, and the two of them created an explosive combo. OC set school records with 20 and a half tackles for loss in a single season and four sacks in a single game against Florida A&M. He finished that year with 15 sacks, the second most in Division I, but he wasn't invited to the Combine. Big oversight on their part. However, this mistake didn't stop Osi from being drafted in the second round by the New York Giants. Osi's first couple seasons in New York were spent establishing himself and working his way into the starting lineup. In his second year, O.C. was blessed by the hiring of D-line coach Mike Waffle. You've heard me talk about this guy before, but it bears repeating. He's a hell of a coach. He's a guy with a military background. Every aspect of pass rush was taught with an intensity that he learned in his old life. Under the eye of Coach Waff, O.C. was able to hone his signature chop club. The one thing about the chop club is it's... Quite frankly, it's a very simple move, right? It's yeah. it's really simple in its concept, and it's it's quite simple to execute that move if you know the like the little technical points. So everybody can really do that move, and quite frankly, you see, damn near everybody, you know, executing it right now. Yeah. But the thing is, there's just so many different things. Like Strahan had that power rush, right? Yeah. Now we'd get in the weight room, and I was just as strong as Stray. Like yeah. literally, I might have even been a, like a little stronger. But on the field. The way he would do that move, the way he, he had the ability to sink his hips, right? Yeah. And like really get into you and lift you. I would try that. And I, I, it was like I was trying to, you know, push like, you know, a, a thousand pound, right. you know, wall of concrete. Like I couldn't do it like him because I wasn't built the way he was, right? And so you have to understand like different defensive linemen are built differently. Dwight Freeney with that spin move. Oh my goodness. Like I would try to do that spin move. Like I had speed like Freeney, but... The way he would do that move, no, nobody can do that move just like him. Yeah. But it's because of the way he was built. Like he, you know, he was like a little lower to the ground, lower center of gravity. He can spin with like such velocity that most people just can't do. So I would try to do the, the spin and I would just get caught up in like the crab. Right. You know the crab is, I right? know the crab. So, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, that's the worst position in football for that's a D lineman worst. when you've got that's an old lineman with his hands around your hips <laughs> and you're you're facing the other way and you're just trying to dance out from it. The There's worst. a fucking quarterback back there doing this. Everybody else is rushing. It's the worst, bro. It's so bad. Dude. So it's horrible. So I'll try to spin it out. I'll, I'll get crabbed. So you have to know, like, you know, different people have just different moves. Kiwanuka, long arm, oh. Jason Taylor, that long arm. My arms weren't, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't do that move because I wasn't built like that. So as a good defensive line coach, you have to understand what what characteristics these players have, and you have to try to coach them around that. In his third season, O.C. finally got the nod and started all 16 games, and he was a force in nature. Second down. sacked by Yulin The ball comes out. When Powers was down, in any case, 
O.C. Elon Euro gets in. When these fellas get one-on-ones, you see O.C. with the speed move outside on Barry Sims and gets the football out a la Lawrence Taylor. When they get one-on-one blocking, they win. 14 and a half sacks, 70 tackles, a one-man wrecking crew. It was a Pro Bowl all-pro season for O.C., and he finished top five for Defensive Player of the Year. To me, what made O.C. so good was his technique. He was a technician in every sense of the word. Every detail of his pass rush was planned out, was choreographed. He was like a dancer on the field. He would close the distance between the offensive lineman and him, and right at the last second, he'd come down with his inside arm and chop a player's outside arm down and get to the back, as Mike Waffle used to say, completing his trademark chop club move. Opposite OC, you had Michael Strahan. You might have heard of him, who also racked up 11 and a half sacks that year. The Giants' D-line was the stuff of legends. Bulger takes a deep drop, sets in the pocket, under pressure, set by Michael Strahan. We just had so many good players, right? Like so many of us, and they just kept kept on drafting more and more defensive linemen. And we were all, we like understood, because you never really see where the defensive line is like the engine of the football team. Yeah. It's, not, it's not really, it doesn't really happen that often in football where, you know, it's usually the quarterback or maybe it's a running back or maybe... It, but it, like for us, for so many years, it was the defensive line. Like the team would go as the defensive line went. And so knowing that and knowing that responsibility, and we just go in the room, we'd, man, we'd have a, a blast in there, man. It was probably the most fun I've ever had in my life going to work. Like I didn't want to miss work. I wanted yeah. to be in that, in that, you know, locker room in those meeting rooms because the door would close and we would just go nuts. The D-line room wasn't just massively talented. They also had a lot of fun together. How about the throne that Strahan built is what Woff told me to ask you about. Stray did all kinds of crazy stuff, man. He had like a throne. He had like a golden mic for when we would have our brat battles. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, our, our room was nuts, man. It, it was, there, there was nothing like it. And um, people ask me all the time if I miss football. It's not really football I miss. Yeah. I don't really miss football. It's, it's those, you know, being in that environment with those people who are very similar to you mentally. And, you know, just being around those people, you, you can never get that back. And that's what I miss the most. Who was the best rapper in the D-line room? Who was the best freestyler in the D-line room? Oh, it was, hands down, it was me. I had a rap <laughs> battle against Michael Strahan, and I, I finished him off. I finished Strahan off. It was the most epic rap battle in New York Giants history. They brought the running backs in. They brought people. They brought other people in to come witness this Freestyle Friday between me and Stray. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a slaughter. Stray, Stray got so upset, right? Because he didn't know that I went home and I wrote down my raps. Like, I came prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so he thought we're freestyling. But I came with, like, real ammunition against him, right? He, he was dipset. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was for sure Jadakiss. For sure. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 2006, O.C. injured his hip and missed five games. 
but the next year, 2007, would be a really special one. The story's been told a million times, but let's refresh. In the regular season, the Pats go 16-0. Brady's breaking records, throwing to Randy Moss, yada yada. Brady with time, going back again to Moss. Touchdown, Patriots! And Brady and Moss hook up on a record catch. Meanwhile, everybody's counting out the Giants, who have this incredible defense. OC had another dominant season, 13 sacks, including six in one game against my Philadelphia Eagles. And McMahon loses the ball. It doesn't matter who recovers at this point. That is OC Humanura. He does it again. OC was the only Pro Bowl player on the team that year, which is incredible. So the Giants squeak into the playoffs, and no one gives them a shot. The G-Men battle through a slew of road playoff games until the only ones left standing in their path are the 18-0 Patriots. And when it all went down in Super Bowl 42, the Giants' defense held the New England offense in check, dialing up the pressure on Brady. They sacked TB five times. Although OC didn't record a sack in that game, his presence was felt. Six QB hurries, which led the team, four tackles, and a key fumble recovery near the end of the first half. 20 seconds left in the half, and the ball's knocked loose. And Human is fighting for the football. He was a constant presence and played a big role in holding the Pats just 14 points. Brady goes down. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. At the end of the day, OC and the Giants were champions and one of the greatest upsets in the history of our game. And the D-line was the engine. Unfortunately for OC, all that success came to a halt the next preseason. When I think about preseason, the first thing that I always have in my head, like as ammunition, when I want to tell somebody to shorten preseason, is like, well, one of my favorite players tore his ACL in preseason. Case closed. Mm. We should shorten that shit. Talk to me yeah. about how tough that was uh, and how it happened. Yeah, yeah, that, that was um, that was really tough. We're coming off a Super Bowl, actually. Um, just made my second Pro Bowl. I'm going in. I'm like, you know, I'm prime at this time, prime OC. And um, just a routine play. We're playing against the Jets. It's the third preseason game. Uh, I actually felt probably the best I'd ever felt in my career at this point. Like, I, I was on it. And I, came, I come off the edge. I do, like, a little sweep. And I try to come back under against Brigashaw Ferguson. And my knee just kind of, like, like just buckled. Yeah. And so I lay down on the floor and I tried to get up and I realized at that point I couldn't straighten my knee out. Like the, the, the cartilage had torn. And then when it tore, it flipped into like my joint. So my knee was like locked for like a couple of days. And, um, so I, I remember going in to uh, see, you know, the doctor and he's like, yeah, he just pulled me to the side. He's like, yeah, wh what we're going to do is we're going to, um, we're going to open your knee up. We're going to remove the cartilage and then we're going to sew it back down. And he's like, yeah, you're going to miss the season. And he, he just said it so nonchalant. you know, so nonchalantly. And I, and I was just like, yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. But I, it didn't register what he had said to me at the point. And so after I was like, how long am I going to miss? Like four to six weeks. He's like, no, 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 you're done for the season. And I couldn't understand, you know, what he was talking about at that point in time, because I had never missed any time or any significant time due to injury at that, at, at that period. So missing that whole year after, you know, we won the Super Bowl and then the Giants, they went on, they were balling that year too. Probably had like the best season uh, outside of the Super Bowl years and just missing all of that was, 
Honestly, Chris, it was devastating. I hated it. After the 2008 season, defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo left the Giants to go coach me and the Rams in St. Louis. Under the new DC, Bill Sheridan, OC was used more as a situational pass rusher. I don't think anybody was happy with that arrangement. OC took a lot of heat from the media, who said he wasn't the same player after his injury, but that just lit a fire under his ass. In 2010, OC started all 16 games again for the first time in three seasons, and he was back, baby. Butler stepping up, look out from behind again. It's the sack fumble, and the Giants have it at the 29, and that's OC Human Euro. 11 and a half sacks, 10 forced fumbles, 48 tackles, second team all pro, NFC Defensive Player of the Month for October. The haters were eating crow. In 2011, O.C. had injury issues again and missed about half the season. But in the nine regular season games he did play in, he averaged a sack a game, which is an incredible pace. Come playoff time, O.C. was back in action. His three and a half sacks in postseason helped the Giants win another championship. December are the Super Bowl champs in February. OC won two rings with Eli Manning, so you know I had to ask him the big question. You're watching a lot of your teammates at this point go into the Hall of Fame. I'm watching guys yeah. that I play with now maybe getting in the Hall soon. It's like, it's crazy. It's kind of surreal. Yeah. But you got yeah. your, your quarterback. You talked about the D-line kind of defining those runs, but he was also, he stepped up big. And yep. there's always an argument. Is he a Hall of Famer or not? I'm sure you've answered this. What's your take on the mm. whole thing? From, from a personal standpoint, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, like, I was there and I saw some of the things that this guy did. He, he, man, he put us on his back in yeah. several situations. Never flustered. Fantastic football player, right? So from that standpoint, being there, I'm like, of course he should be in the Hall of Fame. Of course he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But, you know, out here, I'm also an analyst, right? Like, that's, yeah. like, that's like my job. Like, I'm an analyst. So I put my analyst hat on, and I say to myself, okay, was Eli Manning a better quarterback than you were a defensive end OC? And I'm like, I don't know. No. And I'm definitely not a Hall of Famer, right? So well, if, you're if being you're going humble, by, I think, I think – yeah, no, no, it's no, closer no, no, than no, you. I'm it's closer than you think. It's closer than you think. I, yeah, go ahead. I, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate yeah. that. But yeah. you're, you're speaking from like a defensive end. Like you're like, yeah, we're, you we're watch me, right? Yeah, we're into it. Yeah, we're into it. Yeah, it's different, yeah. right? So um, from that standpoint, I'm like, no, no, I wasn't. I'm not. Really, I'm not going to get in the Hall of Fame, and I, I don't think he was a better, you know, quarterback than I was a defensive end. So from that standpoint, I'm like, I don't know, but. Overall, should he get in without a shadow of a doubt, man? Two-time Super Bowl champ, two-time MVP, you know, a great person, great individual, great player. When it mattered most, he showed up. Yeah. So for those reasons alone, he should be in the Hall of Fame. After one more season with the Giants in 2012, O.C. signed a two-year deal with the Falcons to finish off his career in Atlanta. By now, camp was starting to feel a little tougher than it used to. I remember one time, this was when I was with the Falcons, um, not when I was with the Giants. I remember, I remember walking out there, it was like year 11, and it was hot, they were hitting those, it was hitting those dummies, and I was like, man, what the <laughs> am I doing here, man? 
You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. I'm old. My body's beat up. The coaches are yelling. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't need this anymore, man. So yeah. that was the only time I can, I can remember specifically thinking to myself, I, I need to go sit down somewhere. In two years with the Falcons, OC put up ten sacks and about sixty tackles. After 2014, O.C.'s football playing journey was over. He signed a one-day deal to retire as a giant. O.C. Umanura is retiring a giant. He's set to sign a one-day ceremonial contract with the team he won two Super Bowls with. He's his fourth all-time in sack. When all was said and done, O.C. ended up with 85 sacks, 435 tackles, 35 forced fumbles, four TDs, and a pick. Very nice. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion, an all-pro, and a two-time pro bowler. For a guy who almost never even got to play college football, who overcame injury setbacks, what a hell of a career. Recovering from major injuries in the NFL is really hard. I had to do it. It's never fun. It feels like rock bottom. And OC did a tremendous job of returning to form and sticking the landing. Getting a chance to talk to O.C. was one of my favorite interviews I conducted. He's one of my favorite players growing up. I'll never forget where I was when he had six sacks uh, in prime time against the Eagles. And learning more about his story was really illuminating because he almost didn't make it. Whether it was the injuries, the unlikelihood of an international player making the NFL, coming from Troy, Alabama, his journey was so unlikely. And had he not made it, it would have been a real shame because a lot of guys, like me, learned a lot watching OCU Manura play. Once again, I'm Chris Long, and this is American Prodigies Becoming Great. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us out. Check back next week for a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be great out there.